So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field, shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. 
we read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 42 in the back of our Psalters on page 23. We have question and answers 110 and 111. What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what doth God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may, and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also, that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the history here in 1 Kings 21 is an awful history regarding Ahab and his dealings with Naboth. As we read, Naboth owned a vineyard in Jezreel that bordered on the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Ahab evidently had built a palace in Jezreel in addition to the palace in Samaria. And Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. He thought it would be suitable for him for a garden of herbs for himself, and he would give to Naboth then a better vineyard or money. Naboth refused. This vineyard was God's, and Naboth did not have the freedom to sell it. It was merely entrusted to him for a time. God watched over carefully the possessions of his people. A piece of property was not transferable among the Israelites. You remember that the property in Israel was a picture of each family having their place in the land of Canaan, which was a picture of heaven. And so if a family would have to sell a piece of property, it would be transferred back to them during the year of Jubilee that occurred every 50th year. Naboth then, because of God's command, was attached to this piece of property, and he refused to sell it. King Ahab had no right to the property. God had not given him any right to it. And so he stole it from Naboth. A violation of the Eighth Commandment, tragically, as we note, resulted in also murder, the Sixth Commandment, as Naboth was killed first. We ask ourselves this evening, am I an Ahab? Are you and Ahab. Do you see things that others have? Things that God has not been pleased to give you. And you set your heart on it. You want it. You begin to become covetous because you see that thing and you desire it. And pretty soon you start making in your mind ways and plans that perhaps you could get it to make it your own. Sometimes as children, 
We're tempted to throw a fit because we want a toy. We want a possession that maybe our brother, our sister, some other person has. We want it. Now Ahab here is worse than a little child. He goes to bed. He won't get up. He won't eat. And Jezebel, his wife, has to say, Ahab, what's the matter with you? And it's all because he wants something that he can't have. And so worse than a little child, he has this little fit. Now sadly, beloved, we can be the same way. We want something that God's not been pleased to give us. And as a result, we become bitter. We become anxious. We become upset. We're not satisfied until we can get that which we desire. God in his providence has not given something to us. But we desire to overrule God's providence as did wicked Ahab. And we're not satisfied until we can get that which is the object of our desire. So that we see how many commandments get violated here. Thou shalt not covet. We covet something that God has not been pleased to give us. As a result then, we're inclined to lie. We're inclined to do all kinds of things in order to get that and make it our own. And we become guilty then of theft whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our employer, whether it's our parents, whether it's our brothers or sisters, whether it's our government, God sees you. God sees it. And God saw Ahab. And God sent Elijah immediately to Ahab to confront him. God watches closely over his property as he entrusts it to his children. And God, by his Spirit, exposes our sins. He moves us to repentance. He reminds us that we're pilgrims. We're strangers here below. This world is not our lasting dwelling. And therefore, we can do with the things that he provides us with and without the things that he withholds from us, all according to his perfect providence for our lives. We look at the Eighth Commandment. Note the basic principle here. The fact that Jehovah God owns all things as Lord and King. And he distributes them according to his sovereign will. Secondly, the prohibition, thou shalt not steal. And then finally, the demand, which has to do with giving. The basic principle, beloved, is that Jehovah God owns all things as Lord and King of all. The world and all that dwells therein belong to the Lord. Often we sing that as it's the theme of so many psalms. Think of Psalm 8, Psalm 24, Psalm 50, and many others. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All our possessions, the land that we live on, our homes, our cars, our bicycles, our toys, our clothing, everything, God says, belongs to me. It's mine. Now that's true, first of all, because of the basic reality that God is the creator. God created all things, and as the creator of all things, he's the one that owns all things because he made them. And that's the emphasis of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Sinful man thinks that he invented this, He's the one that produced this. Therefore, in his pride, he refuses to talk about God as the creator and God as the one that owns all things. 
But by virtue of creation, God is the owner. But secondly, God is a God of providence. Not only did God create all things, God then continues to sustain everything by his arm of power. And that's evident in the emphasis of Psalm 104. He waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb for the service of man. Why is it that rain comes and sunshine and that things grow and develop? It's all according to God's providence. Not only did he create us, but now he also so works in our lives that everything is being guided and directed by his fatherly hand. Ruling all the events of the world by his power. Ruling the church by his grace. So that those two aspects are at the heart of this commandment. God is creator and God, according to his providence, sustains everything. So that everything belongs to God. And that's not only true of the creation about us, it's also true of man. God created man after his likeness. And therefore God owns also mankind. Man was created in the image of God. He was created after the likeness of God. He was given the command to dress and to keep the Garden of Eden and to exercise dominion over it on behalf of God. Now God gave Adam that responsibility as the steward then of the creation. God had created the beautiful Eden. God now placed Adam as his creature in the midst of it. And God gave Adam the responsibility to care for, to subdue it, and to replenish it for God's glory. Adam did not own Eden. He was its caretaker. And he's called to be a steward of what God had provided him. Now by nature, man always robs God. And he does so by not acting as a servant, but as owner. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating of the forbidden fruit. They had hundreds of varieties of food to choose from, but they took that which God had said, no, this one you may not have. God gave them a right to everything in the garden, but they were not satisfied. They wanted something that was outside of God's will for them. And so they coveted, they stole, they violated all the commandments of God by taking of that forbidden fruit. And by eating it, they lost their right then to everything. They knew they didn't belong in the garden any longer, and God puts them out of the garden. They were no longer worthy of being stewards of God's creation. Sin always denies the absolute sovereignty of God. And sin claims for itself what Jehovah God says is mine. And that's what happened. To imply that man, for man to be a steward of God implies that man has a right. And he lost that right. So that natural man now, as he stands before God, has no rights to anything in this world. We have no right to the house of God. We have no right to life itself. We have no right to any of God's possessions. Now, God still gives possessions to the wicked. He entrusts them to them. He sends rain, sunshine, gives them boundless good gifts. He preserves the whole of the creation in his goodness. 
All men then are, by nature, thieves because they refuse to acknowledge God as creator. They refuse to acknowledge that God is the one to whom they are to be thankful for everything that they have. They don't have a right to these things. And they are called then to receive them with gratitude and thankfulness to God. But natural man won't do that. And the result then is it leaves men in slippery places, refusing to use those gifts for God's glory. They use them then for their own honor, for their own fame, and they squander those gifts, and they are unthankful. Sin against the Eighth Commandment involves man then in being a thief with regard to the Almighty Creator and the Sustainer of the whole universe. The child of God, by a wonder of God's grace, renewed by Christ, has the right to be steward. God appointed Jesus Christ as the head of all things, At the ascension of Jesus into heaven, God enthroned him at his right hand over the whole of the creation. And to Christ was given then all power in heaven and on earth. Enthroned by God, given that authority, Jesus Christ entrusts to his children aspects of that creation. And we become stewards then in Christ. God gives us good gifts. He showers us with them. He gives us spouses, gives us children. He provides us with possessions. He gives us means, all of which we receive with thanksgiving, acknowledging these aren't mine. They yet belong to him. But he's entrusted them to me for a time to use them to his glory. And so the spirit, the principle of this commandment is that we are to be thankful that we are to receive these good gifts that God provides and we're to be busy in the work that God directs us, that work which tends to the glory and honor of his holy name. We eat so that we can work and so that we can be thankful to God. Our Heavenly Father knows all of our needs and we trust he will provide them to us. And it's in this spirit then that we're taught to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Leaning on Jehovah God, knowing that he's the one who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, we pray to him that he will provide us with everything that we need in the manner that he has ordained. And so we work, we labor in order to receive then reimbursement for our work as God desires. We care for one another, we care for our families, we provide for the needs of God's kingdom. And God works in us the grace and the faith that we thank him. We praise him. We acknowledge that what we have is not ours, but it's his. And we are grateful for it. We have the desire, worked in our hearts by Jesus Christ, by his spirit, to use everything that we have in the service of our Lord and King. To glorify God. We have the desire, as the catechism points out, faithfully to labor in order to relieve the needy. We acknowledge what we make is not ours. It's to be used for the benefit also of others. And so we support the church. We support the causes of the kingdom. We provide for the needy. God works contentment in the hearts of his children in knowing and believing that he is sovereign in my life. That as my heavenly father, he knows what I need And he's directing every aspect of my life 
in a manner that he knows is for my good, in order that I may live happily and give glory and honor to him. That spirit is a wonder of grace. The acknowledgement that my heavenly Father knows that these expenses have come up because according to his sovereign determination, they are necessary in order to humble me and to prepare me for the glory that awaits. And by grace, Christ works in us the contentment, the patience. He keeps us from being thieves and works in us the grace that you have been called out of darkness. You have been brought into the glorious light and life of God. And now as a child of God placed in this position, you are to be thankful and you're to acknowledge him in all things. Now what that means is that God does not give all things to everybody. Rather, God gives some things to each person. Take, for example, Israel and the promised land. God did not give the whole land to all the people. Rather, God gave individual portions of the land to individual families. And the acreage then that God gave to each individual, each family, was not given to him so that he could do with it whatever he wanted. God made plain to Israel, that land is mine. You're to use it for me. Just for an example, in Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. Second Chronicles 7, verse 20, we have the same instruction. God making clear to them, it's my land, I've entrusted it to you, it's not yours to be selling and using for your own profit. Naboth understood this principle of God. And he understood that Jehovah God had given him this portion in Israel. It was not his freedom to sell it at a profit. It might have been lucrative. He could have got Ahab to pay three, four, five times what that property was worth. Naboth could have t- collected the money and he could have gone out and lived a prosperous life. But Naboth knew that's not something that God allows. That's not something I may do. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And God is the one who will call me to give an account of how I steward that which was entrusted to me. It follows, therefore, that the child of God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, receives earthly possessions then only in a way that is ordained by God. In a manner that clearly reflects God's hand and then seeks to use those possessions for the glory of God. And so with respect then to earthly possessions, we are stewards. We receive with thanksgiving what God has entrusted. And the more one has, the more one feels the burden of that responsibility. What I have is not mine. It's to be used in the service of my Lord and King. And how can I best do that in order that many thanksgivings rise up to Him? Again, my car, my home, my shoes, my clothing, my toys, all of these things are not my own. They're to be used in a manner that reflects my desire to glorify God and to thank God. I use them for God in His service. And so that means I need to take care of them. I don't abuse them. I don't waste them. I respect the property that God has given. 
I'm responsible to give an account to God regarding how I make use of that with which he's provided me. And the child of God goes through life with this confidence. God will give me everything that I need. He's my heavenly father. He loves me in Jesus Christ. And out of love for me, he will provide me with everything that I need as I walk down life's pathway. I believe that he's my father. And as my father, he's willing and he's able because he's almighty God. And he rules and directs everything in my life. And so I look to him. And so we labor diligently with the gifts that God has given. And when, in a sense, by no fault of our own, we find ourselves with medical bills, with tuition needs, we find ourselves with expenses, we then go to God and we cry out in our need. And God provides means through the deacons and through family members by which those needs are met. God is pleased to give us either much or little. Sometimes we say, that person, everything that person touches turns to gold. Another person, it seems, everything he touches breaks down. All according to God's sovereign determination. It's God who causes some to prosper. He causes others, though they work hard, though they are diligent, to not prosper to the same degree. Jehovah God, sovereignly knowing precisely what's necessary for each individual and so ordaining it. And so contentment is that for which we pray. Contentment with our way. And that begins with acknowledging that God is sovereign and that we live in quiet submission to our Heavenly Father who promises that He will never leave or forsake me that he will hold me by my hand and he will lead and guide me and he will grant me by his own hand all that I need. Not everything I want, but all that I need. And so the prayer of the child of God is reflected in Proverbs 30, the prayer of Agur. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Child of God acknowledging the threats on both sides. The threat of wealth. That then I could become proud. I start trusting in myself. I'm not walking in thankfulness to God. I'm not praying. Give me this day my daily bread as I ought. But as well, the threat of having nothing. And then being tempted to steal. Thou shalt not steal is the prohibition of this command. God then forbids all seeking to take what God has not ordained to give us. Now that's humbling. We think we have a right. Sometimes we feel that we ought have it. But God says, no. According to my sovereign providence, I've ordained you don't need a spouse. You don't need children. You don't need these possessions. Others are given those things. And we pray then for the grace to be content with the circumstances in which God has placed us. For me, it may not be a new house in my future. It may not be a new automobile. For another, those things may be realistic. 
But Jehovah God says, thou shalt not steal. God ordains some will have much, others little. God ordains that some will lose what they have, whether it be by fire, by theft, whatever way ordained, so that the child of God sees God's hand, both in loss as well as in gain. Now, stealing involves not merely taking something that belongs to another, but the seriousness of it then is that it offends that principle that we looked at. I offend the right of ownership that Jehovah God has ordained. I say to God, my heavenly Father, you're messing up. You don't know what I really need. And we're insisting then on being God. I stand in opposition to God's sovereign will and I say, God, I know better than you what I need and therefore I'm going to take it. I'm going to do so by my own effort. That's what Ahab here does. Ahab will not allow God's ordinances to stand. Ahab wants. And now his wicked wife, Jezebel, assists him in order to get that which he desires. And nothing stands in the way. If it means murder, if it means lying, I will do what it takes in order to get what I've set my heart on. Instead of believing God has given to every man his portion and that God will require all things to be used for his glory, one says, I'm going to take what God has not ordained to give me. Now the catechism identifies a number of ways in which this can take place and this pricks us. We realize how quick and how easy we get caught up in this spirit. There's thefts punishable by the magistrate published regularly in the newspaper, shoplifting, corporate fraud, stealing. It abounds in our day. It's difficult to be honest in business. But that's what's demanded of God. Corporate theft becomes more and more complex and it becomes more sophisticated and on a far larger scale than ever imagined. Attempts to defraud the government and to take advantage of certain programs become opportunities for some to try to benefit. And the temptations may be great, especially when one is entrusted with responsibility and increasingly sees how easy it would be just to take this or to take that or to begin skimming a little here and a skimming a little bit there and realizes that nobody is going to catch on. It's not really going to affect the company or the school or whoever it is, but it will benefit me far more than them. And we begin sinfully to justify such behavior in our minds. Those who work on an hourly basis cheat with regard to their time. They don't give to their employer what's required. They take longer breaks. They show up late. They leave early. The possibilities become endless tempted to lie about our status, lie about our income, hide income in order that it doesn't have to be reported. All kinds of ways so that we can come away with more than God has ordained that we have a right to. Unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, that's all included here. And all of those involves ways to steal. And it's important for us to note they're all alive and well today. 
This is not talking merely about things that are in the distant past and they're no longer a threat. Businesses sell less than is promised or damaged merchandise is set forth. Counterfeit bills are still being created and passed along as though they're legitimate. Great sums of money are stolen from unsuspecting people by extreme interest, by usury. Someone may be in great financial need, but never allow themselves to get into bondage to credit card debt. Never allow oneself to get into that debt that involves such tremendous high interest. Once one gets caught up in that, they perish in the hands of those creditors now as those creditors just constantly are demanding more and more and higher interest so that these means are alive and well. And not only can we become guilty of doing it to others, we can also get caught up in it as it occurs to us. Other means are forbidden. Living above our means. That becomes a significant temptation in our day and age. We want what it took our parents tens of twenties of years to get. And so as young couples, we live then higher than we ought. We put ourselves in a situation where we're in bondage to debt. And pretty soon, we can't pay the bills that are required of us. We need to live within the means that God has ordained. In addition, gambling becomes so easy. It becomes now that which can take place on our phones so that gambling tries to use God's providence to our advantage instead of submitting to his will and to his hand in our life. It makes mockery of God's providence, not only, but it's forbidden. As God commands us, provide for your homes, provide for your families by the sweat of your labor. Work. That's the way in which God ordains that we provide. Gambling is an attempt to pay our bills without working, to try to get rich fast. What does the proverb say? They that will get rich fall into temptation and a snare. And repeatedly, the Bible warns against greed and covetousness, which seek then to make use of those means. But some say, but it's just a recreational sideline. Then you're robbing your husband, you're robbing your wife, you're robbing your children. You're robbing the church of funds that God has given that you are to be using in other ways. All abuse or waste of our gifts, forbidden by God. God gives us minds. He gives us bodies. If we're lazy, we're robbing God. We're not using our minds. We could be getting A's. Instead, we're getting B's. We could be getting B's. Instead, we're getting C's. We're robbing God by not using the gifts that God has given us diligently to apply ourselves in order that we might glorify and honor Him. As we live, beloved, in the midst of this world, as a steward of God, God says, I am your heavenly Father. Thou shalt not steal. And we have to acknowledge all stealing, all theft, is ultimately from God. No matter where we're standing, whether it's in nature, whether it's in church, whether it's at work, whether it's with respect to things that we deal with every week, we're all standing before the living God. And as we stand before God, 
God watches. God knows what's going on. In the Old Testament, Malachi exposed the obvious to Israel, even though they couldn't understand it. They didn't fathom it. God said, you're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. Piously, Israel said, we're not stealing. And God said, yes, you are. Here's how you're stealing. You're not giving me what is owed to me. And so we stand before God, and when we're not paying our tuition, our church budget, we're not giving to the causes of Christ. We're not promoting the things of God's kingdom. We're robbing God. In the Old Testament, God ordained not only the tithe, but he had all kinds of different offerings. The first fruits, he had offerings at special occasions, for instance, the birth of a child, circumcision. Many free will offerings were ordained. And God required of Israel, you show your thankfulness. You show your devotion to me. You demonstrate that I'm your heavenly father by acknowledging me and giving back to me a portion of that with which I blessed you. Now we know that Jesus took that principle in the New Testament to a whole other step. We're inclined to say, well, what is the amount? We just want to know what it is so that we can maintain it. And Jesus says, give all. Sell that thou hast and give to the poor. Jesus' response to those who were trying to be legalistic about it was, God doesn't set forth a specific amount. God's requirement is that you acknowledge that everything you have is his and that you seek to use everything that you have in his service and for his glory. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 requires then, don't give grudgingly. Don't give merely out of necessity because it's required of you. Do so cheerfully, even as God has prospered you. What you have isn't yours. And the reason for your giving is this, that many thanksgivings might abound unto God. You're thankful to God for what God's done for you. And now you show that thankfulness by supporting the causes of his kingdom. And the result then is that these people, the schools, the means that are collected for now, thank God for providing for the needs that are met. And in that way then, various thanksgivings rise up to God who gets the praise and the honor, which is due him. When we're not using our possessions, our gifts to God's glory, we're guilty of stealing. God gives us much, and then we become tight fists, and we withhold it from those around us who have need. The principle of the Eighth Commandment again comes to us. Don't steal. Positively acknowledge God and acknowledge your debt that you owe to Him. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now we say, how would I ever get ahead that way by having to give? But we trust God. We trust his promises. And the way of contentment and blessedness is in the way of giving. God says, don't steal. Use the gifts that I've given you in order to glorify me. And through them, use them in my service. And so the demand then, positively, ultimately is this. You are spiritual beings. Reflect that. You're not of this world. I've redeemed you. I've given you a life that's from above. Show that. The people of the world, they're living as though they're worldly. They're all connected and tied up with the things here below. They act like they can't live without the possessions that they have. But you're different. 
You've been redeemed. You've been given a citizenship that's from above. And that heavenly spiritual citizenship creates his children with a view to eternity. You're pilgrims. You're standing just temporarily in the midst of a battle. And that battle is taking place for a time. But that battle is temporary. It's against spiritual principalities and powers. And so you need the Word. You need the Spirit in order to do battle. And you must give yourself then to the glory and the honor of God. Use the means God has given you to be busy in His work as you set your heart on the things of His kingdom. The child of God lives in hope. God has prepared for us a city and God is now preparing us for that city. And so the child of God then is living with an eye on that eternal citizenship. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger here below. God causes trials. He causes hardships and loss to humble me, to remind me this is not my home, to teach me to set my heart on the things that cannot be taken from me. And therefore the child of God doesn't live for the things of this life. He uses them. He's thankful for them. But he doesn't set his heart on them. They're not the objects, ultimately, of his end desire. Not that they're sinful in themselves, but they're not his treasure. His heart is set on the treasure that's from above. The earthly things are merely the means that God has ordained in order to live in the enjoyment of his covenant now with a view to the fullness of it eternally. And so contentment is the spiritual grace that God works in the hearts of his children. And true contentment is experienced in the way of promoting the advantage of my neighbor. Doing so also with my possessions. How am I using what I have for the good of others? Not just selfishly. They're not just for me. This is to be used for the good of others as well. And I'm responsible then for making use of what I have in a wise manner. Sometimes, beloved, at first impression, this commandment doesn't have a lot to say to us. But then as we delve into the principle and we delve into the calling, we realize, while I'm not inclined to break into somebody's house and steal something from them, I realize that I'm not using all that I have to the glory of God as I should. And in that way, I understand and I realize that I'm not walking in thankfulness as I ought. God has blessed me. And rather than being thankful... I'm covetous. I'm not content. I want more. I want something different. God says, be thankful and content and trust that I will provide. Now, beloved, this involves then a constant, continual struggle against our greedy, earthly-centered flesh. As is true of all the gifts of grace, so contentment, It's a gift of God's grace. And it's that which constantly we are doing battle against until we die. We fight that good fight of faith. Discontentment is that which constantly is a threat. 
And that fight becomes difficult, especially because we have so much. And the more we have, the more difficult that battle becomes. It stands to reason, if we're living from paycheck to paycheck, then we're not going to be as discontent. We're not going to be as greedy, as covetous. But when we have more than we need, we're always looking for something else that will make us more happy in our, indica- in our expectation. But by God's grace, we recognize the seriousness of what it means to be a steward. And we recognize, I don't want anything in my possession that has not lawfully been given me by God. Remember how sensitive Abraham was to this. After that battle where he rescued Lot, then the king of Sodom wanted to give him all kinds of possessions. And Abraham said, no, no, no. I'm not going to take anything that comes from Sodom. I want to just be content with what God has given me according to his providence in my life. I don't want someone to be able to say of me that his wealth, his riches came because of this or that. I want it to be God's hand directly. And so we're ready to manage the earthly goods that God gives us as our steward and to use them in his service. The child of God does this with a view to being an heir of all things. An heir of an eternal kingdom. As we seek the wonder of what God is preparing us for, to bring us into his heavenly kingdom, and to give us to be heirs of those spiritual blessings, we labor diligently here below in the callings and the place in which God has given us. And we seek to be faithful, recognizing that God is the one who gives, he's also the one who takes, and he's the one that works in us that spiritual contentment. But beloved, especially and most importantly, God gives us this commandment in the context of him giving us what no one can steal from us. God has given us his own son. God has entrusted us with the wonder of salvation. And in Jesus Christ, we are able to know the fullness of that salvation. God gives us his spirit by which we're able to know contentment and peace. And he gives us that which no one can rob from us. They can take everything that we own. They can even take our life, but they cannot take from us the wonder of that love of God in Jesus Christ by which God preserves and keeps us. And it's in that spirit that we go forward. As those who have been given that which is the greatest gift necessary, we realize all the things of this earth are as nothing. They're means that God gives in order to strengthen us, to provide, in order that we might pursue that pearl of great price. And contentment means then that we're satisfied with God's hand in our life. Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I look to him, I acknowledge his fatherly hand. I know he's the one that knows best. And that contentment is a gift of grace. He alone is able to give it to me and work it. It doesn't come by getting what I want. It's only going to come in the way of prayer. It's a spiritual attitude of the heart. As I rest, before his fatherly hand, trusting his will and his way, and teaching myself the true value of earthly things and their real significance as a Christian in comparison to that 
pearl of great price, the wonder of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, are you, am I, living as Ahab? Repent. See the true value of our earthly possessions as that which God has given us to use for His glory. And by grace, live as those who have that greatest gift, Jesus Christ, and the wonder of salvation in Him. And with that spirit, we pray then, give us this day our daily bread, and we mean it. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our covetousness and worldly-mindedness. Forgive us the theft and the stealing that rise up not only in our minds, but also tragically take place in our actions. And work in us contentment. Work in us the grace of believing and knowing that our Heavenly Father so directs our lives according to thy perfect plan for our good and for our salvation, and that we are to rest in thee and to know that thou wilt hear our cries and grant us all that we need. For Jesus' sake, amen.